Philippi Live. We are good morning. Welcome to Letter to Philippi Live. This is Sean Imsley, your teacher, and uh, we'll be getting started today early on Instagram, and uh, we'll be uh, broadcasting later on uh, at a regular time on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. But we're getting an early start today on Instagram. So welcome to Letter to Philippi Live. This is our uh, daily broadcast where we look at Paul's letter to the Philippians, letter to Philippi, from a Messianic Jewish perspective and looking at it from the Messianic Jewish theological perspective, wherein we seek to honor the Torah, respect Jewish tradition, lift up Yeshua, our Messiah, to give glory to the God of Israel. So today, as we begin the fourth time through the book of Philippians in this study, we're going to be going back to the introduction and background to the book of Philippians, which will be in two parts. It's over an hour, and I try to do about a half hour for these sessions. So this is part one, and we will be doing part two tomorrow, and then getting started on Friday with uh, the first verse of chapter one. So again, this is Letter to Philippi Live, an initiative of Letter to Philippi org, and uh, we're a new Messian and Jewish theological and teaching organization, of which I'm the founder and I am the teacher of the the courses. And uh, if you want more information about Letter to Philippi, go to lettertophilippi.org. You can ask any questions. You can leave a prayer request. We're going to be praying for you. You can purchase a copy of my Messianic commentary on Philippians, which is the basis for this class. You can make a much needed co financial contribution, either monthly or one-time contribution. And you can also find out about other initiatives that we are up to as we continue to grow the work of Letter to Philippi. But for now, we'll have an opening word of prayer and then we'll go into the first half of the background to the Letter to the Philippians. Oh Lord, you are good. We thank you. We bless your holy name. We thank you for Yeshua who is our life. We thank you for these words of your righteous servant, Paul, that we can take to our, heart, our hearts and seek to be more and more and more in Messiah each day as we study these words. Lord, help us as with now as we look at the background of the book to get some, some new insights to, to this letter as we actually will get into actually the verse-by-verse -verse study starting on Friday. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Messiah Yeshua who is our life. In his name we pray. Amen. So we will be sure my okay my sound settings are are good there so we can go to uh start my notes here so today we'll be doing the first of two parts of the background of the letter to the philippians letter to philippi we'll be looking at 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 the the writing of the letter about about paul and his mission and then getting into specifics about the letter. So this is this will be a two-part class. So this is part one today. Tomorrow will be part two, and then we'll actually get into the verse by verse study of the book on on Friday with uh, chapter one, verse one. So to begin with the background of the letter to the Philippians, mix up a coffee, and. Uh, the background of the letter to the Philippians. This is Paul's letter to the people in Philippi. Philippi was was one of the major cities in Macedonia, which is uh, 
on the European continent. And entering Macedonia was the beginning of the outreach, the message of Messiah going to the broader, broader continent of Europe. So we look at the background of the letter of Philippi, this letter that Paul wrote to the people in the city of Philippi in ancient Greece. And we, I begin with this, this verse, this is from Acts 1 through 8, as we talk about the message of the Messiah going to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. We read, these are the words of Messiah Yeshua himself to his Talmudim. And he said, but you will receive power when the Rock of Kodesh comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses both in Yerushalayim and all Yehuda and Shomron, indeed to the ends of the earth. With these words, the mission to reach the world with the message of Messiah, Yeshua, began. Starting with Jerusalem and Judea, the message of Yeshua spread among the Jews of the land, land of Israel. The earliest Messianic community was a movement of Jews with messages with the message of Yeshua moving to the ends of the earth the doors were open to the Gentile world the earliest followers of Messiah Yeshua faith understood themselves as a form of Judaism the late Jewish scholar of blessed memory Jacob Neusner Rabbi Jacob Neusner even described such faith as one of the Judaisms of the second temple era that that Jacob Neusser, a very prolific author, Jewish author and rabbi who, uh, who recently passed away, he understood that, that in, the, in the first century of the common era, in the second temple period, there was not just one monolithic Judaism, but there were many Judaisms of which we know of, of the Messianic Jews, the followers of Yeshua, and we also know, know from the New Testament about the, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. There were many different expressions of Judaism in the Second Temple period, of which the earliest followers of Yeshua would have been part of that early community. Early on, the debate among the Messian Jewish community was over Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith and their relation to the Torah and Jewish practices, especially circumcision for son. Because, because of, the, of the Jewish nature, being that the, the Messianic community began with Jews with, in the land of Israel, the question, question was, was, what about now that we have the message of the Messiah and we are to bring it to the, into the world, we're going to be bringing it to non-Jews. And what do we do with these non-Jews who come to believe in Yeshua the Messiah? The issue of this debate in the early Messianic community became crucial in, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, when men from Judah went to Antioch to teach the Gentile believers, you can't be saved unless you undergo Brit Malah in the manner prescribed by Moshe. So we see early, early in the Messianic community, the early, early Yeshua community, that there were, the, there were those, those who understood so fully their faith within Judaism, that they were compelling the Gentiles who were coming to believe in Yeshua, that they too needed to undergo Brit Malah 
and become become Jews to be fully a part of the people of God. This teaching conflicted what Paul and Barnabas and Barnabas taught to the Gentiles and led to an important decision by the early Messianic Jewish community, the early Messianic Jewish leadership group, which later became known as the Jerusalem Council, which we see in Acts 15. After hearing debate from both sides, Yaho, James, the brother of Yeshua, and the leader of the Messianic community in Jerusalem put forward this, this suggestion, these words, this ruling on his part. Therefore, my opinion is that we should not put obstacles in the way of the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them a letter telling them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from fornication, from what is strangled, and from blood. Yaakov's opinion about eliminating the obstacles of circumcision as well as full tour observance for, for the Gentiles and substituting less stringent practices resulted in the council's unanimous ruling that this ruling by, by Yaakov, James, the brother of Yeshua, was affirmed by the whole council. The council then sent a letter to be read to all the Gentile communities. It claimed that Gentiles did not need to convert to Judaism nor undergo circumcision before becoming full members of the Messianic community and followers of Yeshua. This ruling supported two important truths that can be missed by many modern scholars, be they Christian, Jewish, or secular. First, the fact that Gentile Torah observance, including circumcision, was an issue to the Messianic community, demonstrated the importance of continued Torah observance and practice of Judaism for the Messianic Jews. The fact that these, these Jewish followers of Yeshua were so concerned about the Gentiles coming into, the, into Yeshua faith, become Jews themselves, they showed that the great importance to living as Jews and following Torah was for them. And they, they saw it was so important that if they figured anyone who was to follow the Jewish Messiah must also become a Jew like them and must, must become a full observer of Torah because that's what it means to be a follower of Yeshua. If you are an Yeshua follower, you are a Torah observant person. So first we have that, that there was this, this, this first issue to deal with is that the is that Gentile Torah observance was an issue to the Messianic community, uh, to the Jewish followers of Yeshua, showed the importance of Torah in their own lives. They, they, they understood that if you're going to follow Yeshua, you're going to follow it in the Jewish way, you're going to follow it as, as an observant Jew, because they were observant Jews, they were following that path, they were following the path of their, of their heritage as Jews, now following the Messiah of Israel. And they were compelling that on to the Gentiles who were coming to faith. If, as many commentators suggest, this really ended Torah observance for all followers of Yeshua, both Jews and Gentiles, bringing the issue to the Jewish Council would have been a non-issue. There are many, many commentaries on on this passage in Acts by by various various Christian scholars who say that in this ruling, that the the Messianic community what they would call the early church, completely abandoned Judaism and Jewish practice. In this ruling, it, it wasn't specifically for the Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith, 
they were that they were able to live tour-free lives. But there are those commentators, including prominent biblical teachers, that say that in this ruling, that that the early Yeshua community, what they would call the early church, completely banned Torah observance. This was the end of the Torah. The Torah was no longer a part of the life of the Messian community from this point on. That in this ruling, it not though it wasn't specifically for for the Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith. Whereas the Jews would continue to live for faithful lives, but there are those who say that in this, this was the the final end of Torah observance for all Yeshua believers. With this ruling, it applied to everyone who believed in Yeshua that they were to no longer live according to the Torah, even those Jews who were who were concerned about them and were living Torah faithful lives. So, so if the Messianic Jews themselves, those who are compelling the Gentiles to be circumcised and, and to follow Torah, had already decided to abandon Torah as Yeshua followers, as these Christian scholars say, it seems pointless and even cruel to require the Gentiles to honor Torah if the Jews had already abandoned it. If it is true, as these, these, these scholars say, that that this ruling meant that Torah observance was no longer to be the part of, of a believer in Yeshua's life, whether Jew or Gentile. And these, these, these Jews that were compelling the Gentiles to become circumcised, it would seem, it would seem cruel and, and, and un, un, understandable that if they had, if they had followed these words, they had, if they had abandoned Torah themselves, but then to compel, compelled circumcision, and Torah living on basically a burden on in the way of these Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith. It would be excessively cruel for them to, to have abandoned abandoned Torah living, but wanting to compel it on these on these Gentile converts, basically putting a roadblock to the Gentiles coming to know the God of Israel and to follow the Messiah of Israel. The Acts account documented the Jerusalem Council. Debate confirms Torah observance as an important part of Messian Jewish faith. Rather than an abandonment of Torah in the early Jewish life and Torah observance for the Yeshua followers, the fact that the issue of Torah observance for these Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith shows us that, that the, the Jewish followers of Yeshua understood themselves as continuing to live as faithful Jews following Torah. It was their life. And they could only understand Yeshua faith and Yeshua life within the concept, within the, the constraints, within the context of Torah living. And they were to they were seeking to compel the Gentile coming to Yeshua faith to also become Jews like them. They so they were so understood Yeshua faith in, in a Jewish context and in a Torah context that they believed. That everyone who believed in Yeshua were to live as Jews. Secondly, the Jewish Council asserted that Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith could and should come to Yeshua as Gentiles. This is the mystery of the gospel that through Yeshua the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the way was open for Gentiles to join with the people of God, but remain Gentiles. No longer would Gentiles need to convert to Judaism 
and observe circumcision for males and Torah observance for all. But now by trusting in Yeshua, Gentiles can become part of the people of God as Gentiles, as righteous Gentiles. The Jerusalem Council defended not only the unity of the now multinational people of God, but also the distinct responsibilities and relationship to the Torah for Jews and Gentiles. Were Jews coming to Yeshua faith, they were accepting the Messiah of Israel promised in the Tanakh and continuing to live as Jews, ordering their lives, ordering their lives according to Torah commands. Messianic Jews weren't abandoning Judaism and Torah by coming to Yeshua. They were embracing Israel's Messiah, which would include empowerment from the Spirit of God to grow in Torah living as Yeshua, our righteous Messiah, respond, promised in John 14, where he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforting counselor like me, the spirit of truth to be with you forever. Where Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith was their accepting of the Messiah of Israel, promised in the Tanakh, and continued to live as redeemed Gentiles. Unlike the Jewish followers of Yeshua, these new, these new Gentile Yeshua followers were not required to, to observe Torah faithful lives. Yet the Jerusalem Council provided basic ethical and moral commands in, as a start, with a apostolic teaching to further lead them to live as redeemed Gentiles. Thus, the Gentiles were included in the body of Messiah as Gentiles, as redeemed Gentiles, and did not and they were not required to convert to Judaism to be fully a part of the people of God. The Jerusalem Council set the basis for what, what Rabbi Dr. Mark Kinzer has called the bilateral ecclesia, that the, the one body Messiah with two distinct ways of living, Yeshua faith, the Jewish way of Torah observance for Messianic Jews, and the Gentile way of freedom or Torah based solely on Yeshua faith. Thus, your model would, would be the basis for the 21st century body Messiah as well. A Jewish Torah faithful Messianic Judaism and a multinational Christianity consisting of the faithful from the nations who trust in Yeshua and live unbound to Torah observance. Rather than a unilateral view of all believers in Yeshua being free from the Torah, as seen in much of the church's teaching, and the unilateral view of all Yeshua believers being subjected to Torah observance is held by the Hebrew, root, Hebrew roots groups. The Jerusalem Council ratified faith in one Messiah Yeshua for all and two ways of living Yeshua faith, one for Jews and one for Gentiles, distinct paths grounded in a unified faith. Understood this way, the Jerusalem Council decision shows God's hand in both Judaism and Christianity and the unity our Messiah called both Jewish and Gentile followers of Yeshua to model while living as distinct communities and two important witnesses to our world, a Jewish Messianic community and a Gentile Messianic community. Leaders of the Messianic, Jewish Messianic community in Jerusalem stated clearly that Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith did not need to become Jews first before accepting Yeshua as Messiah, which would have required ritual circumcision for males and Torah observance for males and females. 
Instead, faith alone in the crucified and risen Yeshua was the only necessary entry step for those from the nations to join the people of God, the Jewish people. Together, they followed the God of Israel and were opened up the message to the whole world. With the issue of Gentiles coming to Yeshua faith, as Gentiles resolved, as redeemed Gentiles, Paul is ready to bring this newly endorsed statement to the cities he visited visited in his previous mission to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. In Acts 16, Paul received a vision that opened the spread of the good news of Yeshua to Macedonia, modern-day Greece, where we read in Acts 16, 9-10. There a vision appeared to Shaul at night. A man from Macedonia was standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. As soon as he had seen the vision, we lost no time getting ready to leave for Macedonia. We concluded that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. After experiencing this vision, Paul set out immediately to share the message of Yeshua with the people of Macedonia. In Acts 16.12, Paul comes to Philippi, a Roman colony and major city in Macedonia that was named after Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great. Emperor Augustus declared Philippi status as a Roman colony after Philippi had been the site of his and Mark Antony's victory over Brutus, Brutus and Cassius, the lead assassins of Julius Caesar in 42 BCE. Later near Philippi, Augustus would defeat Mark Antony in 31 BCE, which guaranteed his place successor to Julius Caesar. Augustus named the city in honor of the Julian family, calling it Colonia Iulia Augusta Philippensis. Although the majority of the populace of Philippi was Greek, the administration was Rome was political hierarchy was held by the Romans. The religion of Philippi included elements of Greek, Roman, Thracian, Egyptian, and other religions, including the hero worship and the syncretic mixing of various religions. Unlike most of the cities that Paul would visit on his missionary journeys. Philippi does not appear to have had a large enough Jewish community to support an, a synagogue, which would have required at least 10 Jewish men. As was, as was Paul's custom, whenever he came into a new city, he would first go to the synagogue for, for several weeks to share the message of the Messiah with his, his fellow Jews. And then he would go into the, into the Gentile, Gentile communities of these of these various cities. But in Philippi, as we see in Acts 16, there was not an established synagogue. There were several women who were praying on the riverside, including Lydia, who was the first in first person in Philippi to come to believe in Yeshua. And and she actually had the, the first gathering of the Messianic community in Philippi was in her house. She was basically the first Messianic congregation, the first congregation of Messiah in Philippi was in the house of Lydia. So there were there were women that we'll see either, either were converts to Judaism or were God-fearers who were practicing Judaism and were praying at the riverside, but there was not, there was, we, do, we don't see a, a synagogue in Philippi till many, many years after Paul was there. They said that, that according to Acts 16 13, those who met for prayer on Shabbat 
met at the riverside and, was, and only the worshipers mentioned were women, including Lydia, as we said, who was the, the first, first person in Philippi to come to faith in Yeshua and established a community of faith within her home. It's also possible that some of the women who were there were converts to Judaism, given that conversion to Judaism by Gentile women was easier as no circumcision was required. It resulted in more female conversions. The following comments on Philippians 1 support, 1, 1 supports this possibility. And this is from Marcus Bachmel from his masterful commentary on the book of Philippians, where he, where he wrote, Without concluding too much from silence, these ob observations do lead a heightened significance to the unusual presence of an exclusively or at any rate predominantly female Sabbath congregation. This phenomenon may well correspond with the common numerical predominance of women among proselytes and God-fearers, due partly to the absence of circumcision as a deterrent and partly to the relatively more respected status of women within Judaism. So Bachmel here who see, understands that, that this, this community, this Sabbath community, the Sabbath congregation, meeting at the Riverside, was mostly women being that that one women becoming God-fearers or convert to Judaism would not have to go undergo circumcision, which was a, a, a great blockage for, for men to convert to Judaism because they would have to be circumcised. And also, and also because of 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 women have under at this time considered to have, have higher status within Judaism than within Roman culture. So that will that will conclude our time for today. That was the first half of the the the, the background to the letter, the background to to Paul going to Philippi and bringing the message of Messiah to the people of Philippi. And tomorrow we'll continue our our look at the background introduction to the letter to Philippi as we will look at the letter itself, the structure of the letter, the time that it was written, ab about, about the construction of the letter, about the delivery of the letter, the whole the whole background, the whole background to to the actual letter itself. We've looked at the back the time background where the setting of this of this book and where Paul brought the message of the Messiah to the people of Philippi. And we see in Acts 16 and here and tomorrow as we continue our time looking through through this introduction, we'll look at the actual construction of the letter itself, when it was written, where it was written from, and uh, we'll get that as we as we do this introduction before we go into the into the verse by verse study on Friday starting with chapter one, verse one. So this concludes our time today. Thank you for those who, who watched on Instagram. So you, those who are on Instagram got a an hour earlier, about an hour and a half earlier uh, class today. And for those who are on on uh, Facebook, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter will be getting at the regular time of noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Jerusalem time. So that will conclude our time today. We thank you for everyone watching. Thank you for uh, for being with us today. And and uh, see that how one of my dear friends was watching today. And uh, thank you for watching watching Rabbi Michael. And uh, hope you 
learn something new about this letter and learn to and ready to to get into the actual study of the the, the book itself and we'll I was, we'll get actually finish the introduction and then go into the 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 uh, study of the book on friday so thank you for watching this is letter to philippi live brought to you daily monday through friday 12 p.m pacific time 3 p.m eastern time 10 p.m jerusalem time my name is Sean Emsley. I am the founder of Letter to Philippi and the teacher of this class. And if you want more information, go to lettertophilippi.org. That is our web portal where you can ask any questions. You can leave a prayer request. I want to be praying for you. You can purchase a copy of my Messianic commentary on Philippians. You can make a much-needed financial contribution, either one-time donation or an ongoing monthly donation, which would be greatly appreciated because we are funded by those who support our work. We don't have any any major major funder or or large organization behind it. We are we are supported just by those who support the work by donating on our website. If you have any other questions, you can go to our website and ask the questions, read, read our various our various mission statement, our statement of belief. And we'll, as I said, we'll be adding new content over time. And also all our previous classes, if you want to get a head start into Philippians, are available there online. So thank you for watching. This is Letter to Philippi Live coming to you Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem time. My name is Sean Imsley. Go to lettertophilippi.org and have a great day. So we will see you tomorrow. Shalom, everyone.